Father, we just thank you for Dave, Lord. Thank you that he is our leader under Jesus. And Lord, that he understands the authority that he has in Jesus Christ. Because he is a man of God, Lord. And Lord, that you've called him to lead this church. And as he, as, as he shares the word with us this morning, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name, Lord, that you'll speak with authority, Lord, and that we will receive this word gladly, Lord, that, we'll be like, that our hearts will be like the soil, the good soil that the parable of the sower speaks about, Lord, that after this word, we will go out and we will produce fruit, Lord, in 60, 40, and 100 times, Lord. And we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Brian. Speaking of fruit, I just get my fruit out because it's been quite a long morning. I get quite hungry sometimes. Just, there we go. There we go. There we are. Don't even think about it, Andy. That's mine. Yeah, I'll just take that one as well. There we go. There we go. So, yes, if we can just turn into our Bibles, we're going to be in uh, Luke. Luke's Gospel, we had a little bit of a break from Luke's Gospel, we're back in it today, so turn in it, Luke chapter 20, verse 9 to 19, and if you can just have your finger in Isaiah chapter 5 as well, that would just be brilliant. So it's Palm Sunday today, and we're actually a couple of sermons on from Palm Sunday in the series. In, uh, in, in Palm Sunday, we learned that, that Jesus, as, uh, as Brian's already referenced this morning, fulfilling uh, Old Testament prophecy comes from Jericho to Jerusalem riding on a donkey, and he gets the red carpet welcome to, to Jerusalem. People are waving palm branches. People are praising him beautifully. And as we've also heard today about the presence of God and joy, there's, there's great joy in the air. And people are saying this. They're saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in, in, in the highest the Pharisees, there's a bit of a battle going on with the, with the religious folk of the time. That The Pharisees say, it's Jesus, tell them to stop praising you. And we see one of Jesus' claim to deity. He goes, if they don't praise me, the very rocks are going to cry out in praise. So things are going so well. But then Jesus, he gets a little closer to Jerusalem and then he starts to cry. And not only does he cry, he, he weeps and he's grieving for this people that he loves so, so dearly. He just loves them so much. And he, he, he weeps and he cries because he knows that the same people who are, who are welcoming him in this way and praising him in this way are soon going to be cheering and asking for his crucifixion. He comes to the temple, to his father's house, a place which is supposed to be a house of prayer for all nations, and he finds that there is theft occurring in it. He drives out those who buy, those who sell, and he starts to teach them and to preach them the gospel. The religious leaders come again to him and they say, what authority, what authority do you have for doing the things you do, for saying the things you say? Jesus refuses to answer them because he knows the hypocrisy of their hearts. And we pick up the story here where Jesus continues his battle with the religious elite of his day. This is called the parable of, of the wicked tenants. And Brian, the other Brian, asked me, what am I preaching on this morning? I said, oh, the parable of the wicked tenants. And he said, that's the good thing about preaching through a book. <laughs> you can't avoid 
the parable of the wicked tenants. So we're going to read it today, and we're going to learn, and we're going to see some wonderful truths by God's grace, and yes, let's read. So the Bible says this, he began to tell the people a parable. A man planted a a vineyard, and he let it out to tenants, and went into another country for a long while. When the time came, he sent a servant to the tenants so that they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. He sent another servant, but they also beat and treated him shamefully and sent him away empty-handed. He sent a third. This one also they wounded and they cast out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, what shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they said to themselves, this is the heir. Let us kill him so that the inheritance may be ours. And they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. When they heard this, they said, Surely not. Are you really saying this? Surely not. But he looked directly at them and said, What then is this that is written? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, and when it falls on anyone, it will crush them. The scribes and the chief priests sought to lay hands on him at that very hour, for they perceived that he had told this parable against them, but they feared the people. So, let's just unpack the story here. Jesus is he's very kind. He tells stories to help us to understand truths and we find out that in this story that a man has planted a vineyard. So the man in the story represents God. Very good. The man represents God. And then he's planted a vineyard. And I haven't got any grapes today, but I do have some fruit. (laughs) He planted a vineyard. A vineyard, most of you will know that a vineyard is a place where you grow grapes. You might want to make wine or Schlur is also quite good. Or just have some grapes. So he plants the vineyard. Now the vineyard, we find out in Isaiah chapter 5 what the vineyard is. Isaiah chapter 5 verse 7 says, The vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. So the man is God, and the vineyard is the house of Israel. And we know that the Lord really does love the house of Israel. We see him weeping previously on Palm Sunday. And it says in Isaiah 5, let me sing for my beloved. Sing my love song concerning his vineyard. Singing over it. He loves it. John, have you ever sung over Louise? (laughs) 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 Clearly not. (laughs) But this man, this God, sings over this vineyard, this beloved vineyard. Love, it's not just words. John may not sing for Louise, but he probably does other things that shows his love. The Bible says, 
never sit in the front row. <laughs> the Bible says, he didn't just sing over it. It says here, he dug it, he cleared it of stones, and he planted it with choice vines. He's taking great care over this vineyard. If you read through the history of your Old Testament, you'll see that care. You know, he, calls, he calls Abraham and calls Sarah. They have this child in the old age, 99 and 89 or 190. And uh, this little boy's born, Isaac. He's cared for. Isaac has Jacob. Jacob's name becomes Israel. He has 12 sons. You see his care for these, these, these children, sending Joseph on ahead into Egypt so that they could be saved from famine. They grow into a huge nation under slavery, and then God carefully brings them out under, under Moses' leadership, provides for them with manna, quail, water and rocks, splits the seas so they can pass through, cares for them so much. And we've been doing a Bible study, going through the book of Esther with my family, and, and just whenever you see Mordecai says to, to Esther, for such a time as this, you've been raised up to help save the Jews. And then he says, and if you don't help, help will come from elsewhere. He really cares about this, these people. He loves them. They're his people. They're his elect. And he, he sings over them and he cares for them. Why a vineyard, grapes, fruit? I'll tell you a little story. My, my little boy, uh, Luke, last year we were eating gala melons. I love gala melons. I'm not really a fruit eater, despite my appearance of being a fruit eater this morning. <laughs> and he got these little seeds from the gala melons, and he planted them in the conservatory because he wanted to grow melons. Isn't that nice? Yeah. Wanted fruit. Wanted sweet melons. So these, this vineyard here, I'll come back to that in a second. This vineyard here, he lets it out to tenants and goes to another country for a long time. So we've got something else in the story now. We've got tenants. Now the tenants are the leaders. The tenants do not own the vineyard. They are the stewards of the vineyard. They're the ones responsible for the vineyard and responsible for the fruit bearing in the vineyard. However, they don't own the vineyard. And just when I read that, it just reminds me of a few things. That one, the Lord, isn't he? He's the owner of everything. Yeah. The cattle on a thousand hills belong to the farmers, but actually it really belongs to God. Yeah. Everything in our lives belongs to God. And that's just such a really wonderful reminder of that. Our homes belong to the Lord. Our finances belong to the Lord. Our time belongs to the Lord. The vineyard belongs to the Lord. And we've got a responsibility to look after everything that the Lord has given us. Yes? Yeah. So you know a little story. At university, I had this wonderful bicycle. I got it when I was about 16. It was a rally boulder. Anyone have a rally boulder? The rally boulder has 15 gears on it. Might not be very impressive nowadays, but 15 gears, grip shift. I added my bull bars on it so I could ride it like this as well. It was brilliant. I get in and out of Cardiff in no time at all. I lent it to my friend and I gave him the lock and I said, hey, just make sure you lock the bike. Did he lock the bike? Did I see the bike again? No, I did not. He did not look after what was someone else's. Let's look after what God has entrusted us with. When the time came, he sent servants to the tenants. So the servants in the story, they represent the prophets, the prophets of old. There's many prophets you'll find in your, in, your, uh, in your Bible. The prophets of old, they're sent to the vineyard. 
so that they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. What does the Lord want from the vineyard? He wants grapes. He wants it to yield grapes. And Isaiah again tells us what those grapes actually are. The grapes are justice, justice, and righteousness. Are they reasonable fruits? Grapefruits. That's what he's after. That's what he wants. He's provided everything for that to happen. Luke wanted sweet, juicy gala melons from our little plant in the conservatory. That's what he wanted. That's what he wanted. But what does he get? First of all, I'll tell you about the gala melons. The gala melons did grow in our conservatory. <laughs> they grew to about this size. About this size. And we ate those gala melons. And sadly, they weren't sweet. <laughs> we were disappointed with the fruit. And that's obviously a little bit funny, and it was good that we grew the melons. But the Lord, when he saw the fruit of the vineyard, what did he want? Justice and righteousness. The Bible says it yielded wild grapes. Isaiah says, bloodshed and an outcry. So it's not good fruit. And sadly, worse than that, whenever the servant was sent to the vineyard, it says the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Another one comes. They also beat him and treated him shamefully and sent him away empty-handed. They sent a third, and they also wounded him and cast him out. The prophets of old... They were men of God. They shared the word of God, and it cost them very dearly. We were praying and fasting this week, part of our family of churches. I went on the Wednesday, and Anna, JP, and Ellie went on the, on the Thursday. And on the Thursday, Gavin Calver was there. And I'm, probably, I'm second-hand in quoting this from Anna, but he said something along the lines of, whenever Gavin now speaks the truth, it's like Marmite. Some hate him. Some love him. And if we're going to be followers of Jesus, it's going to cost us. I, uh, it's, it's nothing like being beaten and wounded and cast out. But as you know, I've got, I've got my Specsaver shop. And you know, I told you before, I got a lot of pressure to open on Sundays. And a year or two ago, this guy visits me and says, we want to give you another shop. I was like, oh, that would be really nice. I'd really like to have another shop. So I said, yes, please, thank you. I, I did consider it first. I didn't just jump on it. But then he said, but you have to open this on a Sunday. And if you do, we'll make sure you get it. So I'm sorry, I can't do that. I haven't got peace about that before the Lord. I'm not saying it's wrong to go and buy milk on a Sunday, but for me, before the Lord, I can't do that. And it cost me that shop. That's minor. But if we follow Jesus, it will cost us. Cost these prophets of old. And the Jewish leaders at the time, throughout history, sorry, have had a track record of treating the prophets of God with contempt. Here's one example the leader at the time of the king in the northern kingdom is Ahab. He's a famous king, he's a bad king. Him and his wife Jezebel, they, they kill many, many, many prophets of the Lord. To the extent that Elijah said, They've killed all your prophets, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. He also wanted to go to war 
So we called all the false prophets, and they all said, hey, you're going to win. But there was one prophet of the Lord who spoke the truth, a guy called Micaiah. He's the one who famously said, Israel's like a sheep, like sheep with no shepherds. He said to the king, the opposite, that you're going to be judged, and you're going to be destroyed. This is what happens in 1 Kings 22. The king of Israel said, seize Micaiah, take him back to Ammon, the governor of the city, and to Joash, the king's son, and say, thus says the king, put this fellow in prison, feed him meager rations of bread and water. They took the prophet, they took the true word of God. They took his freedom away because he spoke the word of God and they fed him meager rations. There's a history of this. Matthew's account of this says, they beat one, stoned one, killed one. So the owner of the vineyard send all these servants, all rejected. So then he says this, what shall I do? I will send my beloved son. And we as Christians, we know who that is, don't we? I'm going to send God the Son, second member of the Trinity, into the vineyard. Surely they will respect him. And this is something that actually kind of shocked me a little bit when I read it. It says, the tenants saw him, so they saw the beloved son, and said to themselves, this is the heir, let us kill him, so that the inheritance may be ours. Jesus here just revealed the heart of the leaders that he's told this parable against. Because they did know that Jesus was the Messiah. You see the heart there. They didn't just miss it. They knew. They saw that he fulfilled the scripture, the Old Testament prophecies. They saw his miracles. They saw his authority. They knew. They knew. So otherwise it wouldn't say here, this is the heir, let us kill him so the inheritance can be ours. These are really bad leaders. And bad leaders destroy people. Bad leaders destroy people. And they're destroying this vineyard. It says here, they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. They threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Out of his vineyard and killed him. Rejecting him, pushing him out. And then Jesus says, he will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. And we know, we know, we know that whenever the, the, the guys here say, surely not, we know that he has just said something pretty shocking. Something pretty shocking is being said. Surely not. You can't, you serious? You really saying this? You really saying that our, our leaders are going to kill the Jewish Messiah? Cast him out? You really saying that our privileges are going to be given to others? And we know that as the Gentiles that are grafted in, and Peter says we become a holy nation, they're in shock. So Jesus looks at them directly. And when I want to make a point <laughs> with people, often in my work environment, what I'll just do to them is I will look them directly in the eye <laughs> and I'll say what I want to say. <laughs> often it should have been a bit naughty. <laughs> directly in the eye. 
Jesus looks at them and said, What then is this that is written? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And here we see Jesus is claiming a messianic psalm, psalm and applying it to himself. He's clearly saying he is the Messiah. <laughs> He's clearly saying this. The stone that the builders rejected, the stone that the builders rejected, the Son of God, he is rejected. He is rejected. He's crucified for the sins of the world. He's killed, but he becomes the cornerstone indicating the resurrection of the dead. He becomes the stone that everything is built on and everything holds together. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, and when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. He points out here that there is, there is a judgment in rejecting the Messiah. There's a judgment in rejecting Jesus. Peter says this, quoting Scripture, Behold, I am laying a stone in Zion, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. And so I was really pleased this morning whenever Ellie shared about shame because I'd actually just written in my notes before, some of you feel shame. And isn't that wonderful news that when we put our trust in the cornerstone, we'll not be put to shame. I've done a lot of things in my life that I'm very ashamed of. I'm just thinking this morning, one thing that came to my mind this morning was just thinking about this thing of shame before I came this morning. I just remembered something I did. It was really bad. And you guys visited by the Gideons here in England as well, I presume. The Gideons come to schools, and they give me this, this Bible, this little red Bible. And I took that Bible and showing off to my friends, I chucked that Bible in the bin. Is so bad. It's the word of God. And I just remind, I remember that this morning. And I was like, wow. I just, I've done so many things that are just shameful. And yet, I've now accepted. I, I, I put my trust in that cornerstone. And I'm not going to put to shame, even though that's what I deserve. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So I just want to tell you this morning. No matter what you've done in your life, even the Apostle Paul who killed Christians, put his trust in the cornerstone, was never put to shame. Whatever you've done in your life, whatever you've done, if you put your trust in the cornerstone, you will not be put to shame. It's wonderful. That interpretation that Becky brought this morning about the grace of God crucifixion of the Jesus. He's just a wonderful Savior, and we need to be saved. Whatever you've done, I encourage you in that. And then it says, so the honor is for you who believe. The honor is for you who believe, put your trust in the cornerstone. Not the honor is for you who are well-educated. Not the honor is for you who have lived a really good life. The honor is for you who believe. So even me, who threw the word of God in the bin as a young man. I'm going to receive honor because of the cornerstone, because of Jesus. The gospel is wonderful.
And not only that, no shame, no honor to the promise. Every tear will be wiped away from those who put their trust in the cornerstone. It's a wonderful gospel. The scribes and the chief priests sought to lay hands on him at that very hour, for they perceived that they had told this parable against them, and they feared the people. The Pharisees see what he's saying. They've led the people badly, and it's devastating for the people. It's devastating for the people. The way they have led has affected how the vineyard has responded to, to, the, to the Messiah. And there's a couple of things I want to just bring out of this. Obviously, we've got the shame. It's the Pharisees, they killed one, beat one, stoned one. They put the prophets out. They got rid of the word of God. And what, I just want to encourage all of us here. Whatever we are leading, whether we're leading you know, in our, ourselves, <laughs> Whether we're leading in our homes, in our marriages, in our families, in workplaces, small groups, whatever we're leading, let us not push the Word of God out. Let's have the Word of God. We need the Word of God. And can I also just say, I really want us to be praying. I would ask you to do this each day. I do it each day at the minute. Pray for the Church of England. The Church of England. It's got a fantastic history. It's got some problems as well, but a fantastic history. And it's very important to this nation. It really, I, th- I think it's very important. I think it gives us a lot of shelter and shade for us as Christians. And I feel like there's this, again, Gavin was speaking about it in prayer and fasting. There's a pushing away of the word of God. And the word of God has got to be there. So let's just pray for them. Let's just pray for them. Let's just pray for them. Let's make sure we lead in such a way that we welcome the word of God and not push it out. And the other thing I was thinking in this story was that the, the vineyard was planted so that fruit could occur. That's why I've got my fruit here, in case any of you were just wondering why I have this fruit here. And he wanted to find righteousness and justice in the vineyard. And we as Christians, fruit of the Spirit, you know the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Imagine if everybody was full of those, was full of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Now, that fruit is not natural fruit. That is supernatural fruit. That is supernatural fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, self-control. Now, these fruits that I've got here today, this is a giant apple. This is a watermelon. So I was, uh, I grew up in Belfast, greatest city on the earth. And across the road from my school, there's this place called the Botanic Gardens. It makes the Abbey Gardens look average. It was beautiful. And in this Botanic Gardens, these grow. But Northern Ireland has not got that climate. This massive greenhouse, it's humongous. And when you go into it, it's literally like you've gone from drizzly, cold Ireland into, into the Amazon jungle. You go in, it's hot. Have you been in there? It's beautiful, isn't it? It's hot, so there's monkeys everywhere and lions and tigers in my imagination. <laughs> but you've got these trees, and they grow, they grow bananas. 
They grow, you have watermelons growing. You have every beautiful tropical fruit that you can imagine. And it's wonderful. But God still makes those grow. The greenhouse doesn't make them grow. God gives the growth. I'm just thinking about the importance of us as a church and as people bearing the fruit. Um, Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. And what we need, Genya, is butter and cats. Have I got that right? (laughs) Cats and butter. Cats and butter. Cats and butter is a Ukrainian term for like the perfect environment for something good to happen. (laughs) And and, uh, I heard about this yesterday. And the cats and butter environment for melons to grow in Belfast was that, that uh, that big greenhouse. And the environment for us, I think, is very important. Let us be in an environment where the Bible says the word of Christ dwell in us richly teaching and admonishing or correcting one another with all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in our hearts to God. An environment where we are together. These bananas here, they grow together. This one fell off. (laughs) These bananas, they grow together. Let's be in community together. Let's be encouraging one another. Let's be in the word of God by ourselves and then together, and let's see this wonderful fruit grow. It's very important, yeah. I think it can. Cats in butter is what we want. Cats in butter. So how we lead. How we follow Jesus in this environment. Great fruit can occur. So just in closing, can everyone just close your eyes for a second? and Just that, that reminder about shame. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Whoever believes in him would not be put to shame. So every eye is closed except for mine. If you want to put your trust in him, perhaps for the first time, perhaps re-put your trust in him, perhaps you feel shame. I just want to invite you now just to take a moment, just where you are, eyes closed, Tell God for something you're ashamed about. I've already told you something I'm ashamed of. Put your trust in him and he will take your shame and offer you forgiveness. Father, thank you that the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And thank you, Lord, for the resurrection from the dead. Thank you, Lord, for forgiveness of sin. And I want to pray for peace where there's shame in anyone's heart today, Lord God. Meet with your people, Lord. We love you. And perhaps you could just stand with me. I just want to pray over the church that we would have cats and butter. Lord, we just love you so much. And Father, we want to thank you for the fruit that we do see. And Father, we want to be a people, a 
community full of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. So, Father, help us to be a people of your word, and help us be a people who are together, Lord, in Jesus' name. Just pray for this. Help us to lead well as leaders. And I just pray, Father, you'd help us in all that we do. We just love you, Lord. Amen.